Certainly not in like a lion. Welcome to March 1st, 2024. <laughs> Happy Friday, everybody. Interesting calendar that Kim Adams pulled up last night on her weathercast showing uh-huh. that for the month of February, 29 days, only five days were at or below the normal temperature. Wow. Every other day was above normal. That's how mild February was. Long-range forecast show we're going to see more of the same in March and probably a drier March, which I I, I, that, I won't mind that. No. Um, if it's uh, even though I think the lakes probably need it, they need it, yeah. Uh, and uh, if you're concerned about your boat and lake levels, but uh, it looks like we got a beautiful weekend ahead. We hope you've got some nice things planned. We got some tickets to give away a little bit later to the Michigan Golf Show, which is next weekend to get you in a nice spring like frame of mind. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, the one thing that apparently is getting much, much hotter are people's tempers on. The roads. Oh what my the heck is going on? I don't know. And people are just, you know, getting more and more upset. They're pulling guns. Women are, are doing it as well. It's not just three yes. road rage incidents in this past week alone. One of the men in gunfire and a fatality. Yes. Yes. Um, we're going to have Mike Shaw on a little bit later on to talk about the other amazing story, which is a woman that has been missing for more than seven, well, for about seven, seven years. Seven years, yeah discovered alive at an Inkster motel after a tip call to Michigan State Police. She was able to call her stepmother and tell her stepmother that she was being held. And the stepmother called police. They were able to do some work. They got to the apartment, to the, um, I'm sorry, to the hotel, and they heard the screaming in the hotel. And, and yeah, like forced, crying and yeah, wailing. And, crying. and so they forced them, their way inside. Uh, of the hotel, and uh, they they got her, and they got some drugs and guns and some other things too. So they have a suspect that they that they have identified. identified. They don't have they don't him have him yet. Yeah, but uh, uh, and it was interesting what Mike Shaw said was he said you know this isn't your Law and Order SVU type human trafficking thing you see no. dramatized on TV. This is the average human yeah. trafficking thing. And he goes where I mean you were just held against your will. For months, mm-hmm. if not years, and so we're going to learn about that uh, more about it coming seven thirty five at seven thirty five. Meantime, the split screen trip to the border uh, produced pretty much what we thought it would uh-huh. yesterday. Two vastly different pictures of uh, what the uh, two of reputed nominees uh, will. We had uh, had Joe Biden, President Biden, down at the border in Brownsville, where he's touting his success. And this is what happens when you have good cooperation. Well, he's right. In Brownsville, it's work. And for the month of January, illegal migration fell by half. The part he doesn't tell you is it's still well above normal Mm -hmm. and double what it was under Donald Trump. He did, however, and their tone could not have been more different. He was solution-oriented. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing policy with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me, or I'll join you, in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. You know and I know. It's the toughest, most efficient, most effective border security bill this country has ever seen. Good enough to get the endorsement from both Border Patrol unions. And we should point out, though, that Mr. Trump will say it was still bad. (laughs) Um, And that's why it didn't get passed. Privately, though, he was telling his allies on on Capitol Hill, don't support this. You'd be taking away the best issue I've got for for re-election. And he also says, and he's right about this, you shouldn't need Congress. 
I didn't. We ended catch and release. We built 571 miles of border wall, much more than I promised I'd build. And he built somewhere in the neighborhood of, he says, 571 miles. There's a dispute about whether it was that much. In terms of new wall, it was probably closer to 40, 50 miles. But um, bottom line is two different ways of approaching this. He did say that this was a uh, leading to a huge migrant crime problem. Last year, almost half of all ICE arrests were criminal aliens charged for more than 33,000 assaults, 3,000 robberies, 6,900 burglaries, 7,500 weapons crimes. This is all migrant crime. And, I mean, we've got the Lake and Riley case down in yes. Georgia, which has been a justifiable flashpoint mm-hmm. to this issue. I think she's being laid to rest yes. today. Um, but... On the other side of it, we've got the Cato Institute, libertarian group, saying, look, we've looked at the crime rates in sanctuary cities. There are no spikes there. And the spikes are among our citizens, not illegals. Um, And so we've got, again, these these dueling things. What uh, Biden has done, though, he's put Trump in a bit of a box by saying, if you're not going to join me in looking for solutions, then I can say on the campaign stump, you're really not interested in the solution. You're just looking at exploiting a very volatile issue. Yeah. And uh, and that was really what was behind this uh, olive branch of sorts uh, that uh, he extended yesterday. We'll see where it goes. Uh, meantime, uh, Vladimir Putin yesterday, we know that uh, French President Macron said, look, we may be at a point where we should consider sending in NATO troops into Ukraine. Yeah. Putin came back and said, look, uh, you do that. We have nuclear weapons, and they have the ability to target your within your borders. Sounds like a threat. Threatening nuclear war. Now, we should point out that no other NATO countries endorsed what Macron was talking about. No, Nobody's no. talking about sending troops. And Navalny is it, being laid to rest today, too. And, you know, there's some fear of what may happen at his funeral that, you know, people who come to pay their respects may get arrested or you know, taken away. So uh, we got to keep a close eye on that as well. Well, and the persecution of those that have come out in protest mm-hmm. or even to mourn. Yes. Oh, Navalny's yeah. death mm-hmm. have, has been swift and brutal in many cases. There was what was it? Hearst drivers were kind of went on strike and refused to transport. Were, yes. Navalny's body. Yeah. Um. Yeah, also unclear. I, I don't think... Was there an autopsy? Do you know if there was an I, autopsy from we the haven't, family? haven't heard anything about an autopsy yet. Uh, and also, um, can his widow attend after what she has gone around saying? Can, That's another can thing. Can she safely attend his funeral? Um, all things that we'll be watching for. Uh, as we were getting off the air yesterday, uh, the Fed's inflation report, they call it the Fed's inflation report because this is the, the index that... They like to look at the personal consumption expenditures rate. It rose 0.3% last month, so things are heating up again. But this was expected. And one thing that kind of got my eye, consumer spending overall fell. So we're kind of pulling back Mm -hmm. as a nation. And I've been starting to see little indicators that people are getting nervous about things. The delinquency rate on auto loans has reached a new high. The rate of approval for auto loans has fallen quite dramatically, and the sharpest pullback on consumer spending involved autos and trucks. 
So um, just, you know, maybe not a big flashing red light, but some caution lights (laughs) out there that we need to be watching. By the way, it wasn't enough to uh, pull back the market. The NASDAQ ended up in record territory yesterday, begins there today. Uh, The the whole AI thing, apparently, the NVIDIA chip boom, Mm -hmm. things like that, really driving the market up. And we won't have a government shutdown. Yay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah. March 8th and March 22. They just kicked it down the road. March 8th and March 22nd are the new dates that will just reset the shutdown clock. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, by the way, we were talking a little bit about the road rage thing. Uh, Detroit, according to a ranking published in Forbes magazine, Forbes advisor determined that Detroit is home to the worst Third worst drivers in the nation. Uh, this Behind is based, who? Uh, I should know okay. that. It doesn't say five. here. <laughs> Did you, we're just the third. But Let's, they, oh they, no, okay. Albuquerque and Memphis. Albuquerque oh. and Memphis. Yeah, wow. I would, that would kind of surprise me. <laughs> yeah. I would have gone with L.A. Of course, or they, Chicago. They, they're, or they're not traveling fast enough in L.A. to do anything dangerous. Oh, that's true. And I would have thought Georgia, too. Atlanta traffic can be oh. pretty. Oh, yeah. The, the belt too. there is yeah. terrible. But we, it was the number of fatal car accidents per 100,000 residents. That was the majority of the score. Fatal accidents involving a drunk driver. And uh, they don't even, this doesn't include the road rage incidents oh, we've had in the yeah, past. Yeah, throw week. that in. Uh, but uh, we'll... Some days it does seem like that. I know. Just got to say. When we come back, uh, there are some really encouraging crime uh, crime trends. So encouraging that Detroit's police chief was invited to the White House. We'll speak with Chief James White next on JR Morning at 619. We are all grateful for the support of our partners at the White House. Thank you. On behalf of every member of the city of Detroit Police Department, I thank you, sir. We work to reduce crime and improve public safety, and we're going to continue. Now, it is my pleasure to introduce the 46th president of the United States, President Joe Biden. And that was Detroit Police Chief James White, who was among several distinguished police chiefs invited to the White House to discuss strategies for reducing crime in their cities. It marked Chief White's second invitation to meet with President Biden, highlighting the significance of his contributions to public safety. During his visit, Chief White had the opportunity to showcase Detroit's remarkable achievements in crime reduction, and he joins us now on the JR Morning Live Line to tell us all about it. Good morning, Chief. Uh, good morning. Good morning. It was uh, great. I, I, I was so proud, and I think we all were proud. We saw you up there uh, at the podium and uh, touting uh, the, the great uh, things that the city has done, the, your men and women have done to reduce crime and and uh, being able to introduce the the president before kind that of meeting, seeing the thing. Yeah. You know I mean, my goodness. <laughs> yes, it was uh, a very proud day for the city. I'm very proud of our officers and the work that they've done. Uh, as I often say, uh, I'm, I'm I'm just a coach of a really good team, and uh, they work, they get it done day in and day out. I'm very proud of them. When you talk to uh, some of the other police chiefs that were there, and and how they got there. Uh, crime reduced? Did you guys, uh, you know, uh, exchange some ideas? Did you get some new ideas while you were there? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. We spent a, that was really, aside from being, you know, honored to introduce the president and, and, and have the invite uh, in the first place, I, I tell you the, the, the biggest benefit beyond that was the the stuff that didn't occur during the speech. Uh, it was the one-on-ones with the different chiefs and learning some of the things that they're doing uh, and they're all doing some really, really good work, and you know everything is 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 really grounded in 
getting out and, and working with the community and engaging the community uh, as part of the solution uh, as opposed to, you know, just this let's lock everybody up mentality because that doesn't work. It's it's about community engagement and building trust in the community. So we had a, a really good conversation about that, and I've got some ideas. They borrowed a couple of mine, uh-huh. and uh, I borrowed a couple of theirs, so I'm pretty excited about it. We know that this improvement uh, that we're celebrating in Detroit is not the the end of things, but we also know it's not universal, that there's an awful lot of urban centers that have not experienced the same declines in carjackings and violent crime. What has been the difference for Detroit, and how important is consistent prosecution as well? You mentioned the team, the other part of the team, the prosecutor. Yeah, it really is. It's three tiers. It's the prosecution. You know, COVID created a situation, uh, the pandemic, where we we saw courts shut shut down and, uh, you know, really um, not being able to hold people accountable for violent crime had an impact. Uh, I got to give the mayor and the U.S. uh, or the mayor and the 36th uh, District Court and uh, Third Circuit, uh, you know, our Wayne County exec, I've got to give them full credit for putting together a team of folks to address uh, you know, the, the backlog issue, the, the courts came to the table, the chief judge came to the table, uh, the prosecutor, Kim Worthy herself came to the table, uh, Warren Evans uh, and, and the mayor, and we, we rolled up our sleeves and we came up with a solution to help the courts. Uh, we some things that we needed to correct on our end in the police department, and it really, really uh, paid dividends to getting the courts much more efficient than they were. So that's one pillar. The other pillar is our partnerships. I started to say the U.S. attorney, um, and all of those other players I just mentioned at the table and, and building on uh, addressing violent crime in the most violent areas of our city, not arresting everybody, but also looking at some of those things that we can do to prevent crime in the first place, uh, those socioeconomic issues and giving people services. And, you know, when, you, when you've got people who are in the business of generally locking folks up at the table, giving people opportunities to get their GED and find jobs and things like that. It's, it's a true game changer. Uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And then finally, enforcement, the officers. The officers, um, you know, the raises, uh, not having to uh, worry about retention when you've got $10,000 raises for the officers. Uh, and the officers, as you see in Detroit, my goodness, they work. They yeah. work. Chief, uh, I, I got to ask you, too, about this uh, security breach that was exposed uh, to covert locations of ShotSpotter. I, I understand it was this security breach that was uh, letting people know where the sensors were all across the United States. And now you got yeah. people talking about, uh, you know, uh, accessibility to sensitive uh, surveillance data and racial profiling and violating civil liberties. Your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I saw the article like everyone else, and I'm going to get and dive more into that. But I, I want to caution everybody because a lot of it is just when you listen to what f- people are saying uh, around it, what are they saying? Are we saying that so now we know where the sensors are uh, in areas of the city um, that are there to identify shots? So what are we saying? Are we saying then that don't shoot there? That's good for us. That, yes, there's there's a sensor. Don't shoot here. And, and I got news for you. Don't shoot anywhere. Because what ShotSpotter does, and I don't work for the company, I'm not going to work for the company, but when you look at the reductions we've had, okay, it's it's in part due to our technology. It's ShotSpotter. It's Greenlight. It's all of the tools that we use to keep our city safe. Mm-hmm. And the same critics that are out here making noise and, and talking about uh, where the where the sensors are placed, 
What's their solution for people being shot in our community? Exactly. What's their solution? You know, what, what, where were they when that 11-year-old was shot uh, laying on her couch? Where were they at? Where, where, were, where were they at uh, uh, about those issues? So I'm going to get into it. Certainly I'm sensitive to, to privacy, but this does not compromise privacy. No, no this is, it doesn't. This, this is saying that a censor is in a particular area of the city. Would we prefer for you not to know that? Well, in some instances, only because we don't want you to pull the censor down. Exactly. Okay? Are you worried about sabotage, Chief? You only got a few seconds yeah. left. Are you worried about sabotage because of this breach? Well, it, you know, we're going to be more sensitive to it, but, but the idea is to make sure that the community understands that this is a tool for their safety, and there should never be a place in the city that anybody should be comfortable shooting in. So I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get engaged in that heavily today and find out what, what, exactly what this means. But I can tell you right now, I know you got a couple seconds. The messaging around it is absolutely wrong. It is wrong. Chief, always a pleasure to have you on, and <laughs> we just love your passion, and we love what you're doing for the city of Detroit, the men and women here, and all go, the partners. Go get them! Thank you, thank you, thank you, Chief. Let me tell you, Chief James White loves this city and he loves the people and he wants to keep it safe and he's doing all that he can to keep the citizens safe. And and putting them first, not political agendas yes. or um you know, you know, uh, some some of the other agendas that are out there. It's it's really a breath of fresh air and a variety of advance. By the way, uh we talked uh when Jamie was here and mm-hmm. a story that she was very passionate about this Alabama Supreme Court ruling that identified frozen embryos as human beings, thereby putting the threat of criminal and civil liability upon doctors and IVF clinics. Uh, Yesterday, the Alabama House and Senate scrambled like crazy. They produced a piece of legislation now on the way to Governor Kay Ivey uh, that provides civil and criminal immunity for death or damage to an embryo. uh, From any individual or entity when providing or receiving IVF treatment uh and it's retroactive uh-huh so the incident that happened that sparked that started the case this yeah in the first place where uh, an outsider got into an ivf clinic and destroyed some embryos um that would basically this legislation would render that case moot going forward uh meantime dan kildy uh, sponsoring some federal legislation to put protections for ivf treatments uh, and kind of undoing the Alabama scenario at the federal, federal level. level. Um, apparently some Senate Republicans scuttled an earlier effort, but they are going to still try in the House to come to something that will give this protection. I have no idea uh, if you are pro-family, uh, why you would want to deep-six this. Uh, do you think they're going to do something before the election? Uh, they're going to give it a good try because yeah. they know this is hanging over everybody's Absolutely. heads. When we come back, a snowplow killer. Could have been your mom, my mom, grandmother, uh, aunt. 86-year-old woman from Clinton Township was exiting uh, the Salon Inspire and Day Spa in 15 Mile and Hayes uh, back in mid-January when she was run over and killed by a snowplow driven by a man that we now know to have been highly intoxicated. Um, he is now facing serious charges. A Macomb County prosecutor Pete Lucido joining us live this morning with really one of the most infuriating cases we've seen in a while. Pete, good morning. Hey, good morning, Guy. Good morning, Lloyd. Good Listen, morning. Uh, this is tragic. 
And, and, and it really, I mean, in all the years of practicing, you start to realize that uh, the accused in this case, and he's innocent until proven guilty, has at least 12 driving while license suspended convictions. Twelve? Twelve. Twelve convictions. In fact, he has been revoked, should have never been behind the wheel to begin with. The second thing is he has three prior operating under the influence. Could be drugs, alcohol, but in this case here it was drugs, and it was not just cocaine but also methamphetamines and benzo, and and it's not just small amounts. In addition, the equipment on the vehicle was, to say the least, there was violation after violation on the vehicle. The window was impossible to see out of. Why was that? Is it tint or that just hadn't scraped it? it It was the dirt and the debris all over the passengers and the driver's side window. And I look at this because I lost my mom the last three months. Mm-hmm. And I see that this is somebody's mother, grandmother. This this could be somebody's wife. And there's a senseless death here because backing up this vehicle that did not have the, 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 the siren to back up just to put her in harm's way. But here she's an innocent bystander in the middle of the afternoon at 1230 and gets run over and then rerun over when he put it in forward so she's backed over and then she gets um uh, run over again going forward no chance at all guy no chance is it is it your suspicion pete given the the, his blood alcohol level at 12 30 that he'd been drinking most of the morning while working no it actually wasn't drinking in fact the the pbt was administered and they came back 0.00 but it it's drugs, drugs operating while under the influence could be drugs also. And in yeah. this case, the results came back positive for drugs. Now, the, 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 the irony is who gave him a job to drive this truck? Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With that and, driving and, record, how they, well, for their own liability, if they're a bonded company, and who would hire that landscape company without evidence that the drivers uh, are properly licensed? Yeah. And it goes on because the violations for the vehicle, okay, number one, the the, the person that is employing this man uh, has got a uh, allowing an unqualified driver to operate the motor vehicle, registration and plate violation because the mm-hmm. plate was expired, fuel line violation, wiring violation because there was no protection on the wire, no proof of insurance, no emergency equipment. <laughs> You just go on and on and on, registration and plate. And and here's the reality. When you put somebody in a vehicle and you're employing them, and this is a very heavy-duty truck because it's plowing snow, and it has that big blade on it, what are we doing? What is it that we're trying to accomplish here? Because this this was an un... In my opinion, should have never been on the road, this vehicle. No. Let alone no proof of registration, no proof of insurance, and no plate. I mean, it's a violation of all the laws that we're talking about to even put this thing around. So if if, um, if it was not in alcohol intoxication, how does yeah. this become more difficult to prove in court? Because we know that drugs can hang around in your system longer than alcohol. Alcohol, you can be pretty predictive at what the level of intoxication was in that moment is is it is that a more difficult case to make when it involves illegal drugs 100 percent. but 
we have a driver's recognition expert. And of those that don't know that, these are people that have been trained in the field of ministering tests to show what their, like their motor skills and their reflex skills. And in this case here, the amount of drugs that were in the system, the three different types of drugs that were in the system, coupled with the way the windshield was coupled with, I mean, the fact that not only running her over backwards, but going forwards over her again. And that's when people started blowing the horn in the parking lot. And the witness that just did her hair, this this witness out of the salon was looking right at the whole thing and oh, saw the God. whole accident occur. And at 1230 in the afternoon, and then there was an admission guy. By his own admission, he had indicated that he used drugs just prior to the event. Wow. So, you know, it, my story is this. If you're going to be an employer and you put somebody like this in a vehicle to do this type of activity, I would hope that our legislators would put a law together that would punish that individual because this person should have never. I mean, just drive, just a mere fact of doing a driver's record check mm-hmm. would have shown he should not be licensed to go behind the wheel. Absolutely. Because he has no license. And prosecutor. And prosecutor, I was going to ask, you know, do judges, because he's had these previous run-ins with the police, you know, with, uh, you know, driving under influence and other things. Do judges have a discretion in these kinds of cases, or do we need laws that make it mandatory? You know, I don't care if it's your first time uh, that you are driving under the influence and you have drugs in your system, because you have all of these people who, who, you know, this guy is charged as a habitual fourth offender, you know, if he was not on the road and maybe he was locked up getting some type of, of help, maybe this woman would still be alive today. Take it a further step, Lloyd. Look at what's going on here. He had an open warrant, an open warrant, which means he, he failed to appear in a courtroom out of, out of I think it's uh, Roseville or Frazier. In addition, I want everybody to realize you're talking 12 prior drive license suspended in a courtroom and four prior drinking-related offenses and or drug-related offenses in addition to other convictions. So how does that happen, Pete? Help, help me understand that because when you've yeah. got that, when you, how many bites of an apple right. does a guy get? So how well, does that the, happen? And who, and I mean, I'm not looking to pro- persecute any judges or anything like that. I just don't understand it. Here's the reality. If, the, if it deals with this Ferris wheel that the legislator took up, you remember driving while license suspended, once you get on that Ferris wheel, mm-hmm. people need to drive by necessity. But what is happening is individuals, even though they are let out of jail on driving while license suspended because they find this to be a moving violation as it relates to taking care of business with the Secretary of State, I don't look at just those guys, and there's 12 of them. There's yeah. a lot to look at. Yeah. But I'm looking at this person has been previously convicted of operating on the road under the influence of drugs or alcohol and been convicted four prior times. What's it going to take? Yeah. I have no clue except this person should never get behind the wheel, and they do. But there needs and, to be, if, if we have habitual offender laws, Pete, then then we we need to make sure that those are strictly enforced Enforced. yeah so that we don't we we need to we need to shut the ferris wheel down and this time i I can tell you these are two 15-year felonies o-u-i-d operating influence of drug cause and death driving while licensed revoke cause and death are two 15-year felonies and lloyd like you said Mm -hmm. coupled with had four which is habitual four 
that's anywhere up to term of years of life. I mean, maybe this is the time it shuts down once and for all. Again, if that was my mother, I would be asking, how in the hell could this have happened? Right. Well, if that was, you know, I mean, I can tell you um, her family is going to be talking with attorneys because of the civil liability and the yep. exposure here yes. to the commercial property owner, the owner of the landscape company, and the driver involved. is It would be pretty extreme. But i got to ask you, talk to your former colleagues up in the legislature in terms of being yes. able to go after the employer that hired this guy without doing due diligence or ignoring it. What needs to be done? What, what kind of a bill would you like to see? Because we're privileged to have many of those people listening to this broadcast. Mm-hmm. You know, Guy, I, I look at it this way. Um, somebody took the life of another as a result of their derelictness and just, I, I mean, Taking the life of another because this individual woman, innocent, 86, getting her hair done in the afternoon for the week, you know. Bless her soul. Now I got I to gotta, you know, confess something. It's this. Justice doesn't look very good through the eyes of the victims that are now survived by this woman. No, the system the failed daughter, that woman. The daughter and everyone else are going to say to me, Mr. Lucido, how do we get justice now? Yeah, yeah. And I look back and I say, there's not a law out there that can bring mom back, but there better be some landing spot where at least the punishment now fits the crime. And there needs to be some tentacles because, you know, there are some people who attri- who contributed to this by hiring him and, and having him out there doing this work. I got to tell you, that's, that's spot on because now the legislature can say, if you're going to hire somebody to operate, this is a, a commercial vehicle, commercial. If you're going to hire somebody and not do a record check, not have insurance on the vehicle, not go ahead and properly plate it and everything else, you're both involved with this. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but they're both yep. involved. Yeah. With and this. there needs to be some criminal culpability there in addition to the obvious civil liability. Pete, right uh, we'll be watching the case closely and do keep us informed, will you? Always. And guys, have a blessed weekend, okay? You, you as too. well. Enjoy it out there. When we come back, uh, we just had the, the former ambassador to Cuba confess that he was a spy. For the communists, now here's a different question. If you buy a Chinese automobile or an automobile with Chinese software in it, is it spying on you personally? That's what the president and some of his followers are saying. We'll get into that next on JR Morning at 649. President Biden coming out yesterday uh, saying that one of our national security threats, by the way, he was at the border didn't didn't talk about the migration as being a national security threat there. But in talking about cars, he says that he wants to erect more barriers to the importation and sale of Chinese vehicles, not necessarily because they pose an unfair trade threat, but because of a national security threat that may be within the software on those vehicles. So is it? How how would it present itself, and is it already in the cars that we are driving that may have Chinese-made components? Paul Eisenstein is senior contributing editor for Headlight.News. That's dot .news, and uh, Paul joins us live this morning. Hey there. Good morning. Good to be with you. Is Has this been percolate, percolating for a while, this idea that, I mean, that a Chinese vehicle could be like TikTok on wheels? Yes, that's what I was going to say, like TikTok. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because 
the idea that the Chinese may pose a number of threats using the Internet and uh, various technology, that has been percolating for quite some time. Uh, we've all been reading reports about how we know that Chinese hackers have been trying to get into, uh, uh, into various accounts, whether it be the Pentagon, uh, our electric utilities, uh, hospitals, and so on. And so I guess we shouldn't be surprised at all that there's concern about them having access to vehicles. Uh, why? Because virtually every new vehicle coming out has some level of internet connectivity. Mm -hmm. uh, we, all, we all know that uh, the, the days when it was a purely mechanical vehicle are long gone. Uh, virtually everything now has some sort of infotainment, touchscreens inside, and increasingly what they call over-the-air updates, much like what we have in our smartphones. This allows uh, an automaker, for example, uh, Tesla uses over-the-air updates to to resolve a number of issues when they've had recalls, where it can be solved with a software fix or to upload new software to add new features. Well, the concern is that the Chinese could also be able to use that to be able to, well, for example, upload uh, a, a toxic, if you will, a toxic feature, uh, could be tracking uh, information about individuals or even as uh, as a weapon to be able to scout out things, to be able to track, uh, say, military installations simply by having Americans driving those vehicles drive nearby some sensitive areas. And by the way, guess who was worried about this before we were? The Chinese. <laughs> Remember, there was a period when they were really limiting where Tesla vehicles could drive. Hmm. They were afraid the American government was spying on Chinese military installations through the technology on board Tesla vehicles sold there. Paul, you know, it's interesting to note that Chinese EV makers have been in, you know, eyeing other markets outside the United States. So what impact could this have the investigation on export strategies, especially like in regions like Southeast Asia and Europe? Well, the Chinese have been promising to become major export manufacturers for quite some time. And by the way, I should mention that in, in the peculiar world of Chinese business, uh, their form of capitalism means that the government uh, or the military in particular is involved in various ways in, in so many of the major corporations over there. This is not paranoia talking. It's a reality. We all know that. It's, uh, it's something that Wall Street's quite well aware of. Uh, the Chinese have, until recently, been largely focused on their own market. Their own market has begun to slow down. I'm talking the car market. Mm -hmm. And they are now beginning to become major exporters. I mean, they're pretty – what's, what's their penetration in Europe? It's quite significant, Paul. It's growing very rapidly. In one sense of how big they've become over there, uh, we had the, the uh, Geneva Motor Show return for the first time since 2019 – there aren't a lot of European automakers there, oddly enough, only a handful of the big guys like Renault. But BYD, the big, big Chinese EV manufacturer, is one of the players there. So Biden, in a statement saying yesterday, China's policies could flood our market with its vehicles, posing risks to our national security. They could collect sensitive data about our citizens and our infrastructure and send that data back to the People's Republic of China. Uh, not on my watch. Um, but but how real is this threat? I mean, right now, I think we've got, isn't it a 25 percent tariff that, that Trump put on Chinese 
assembled vehicles or something from BYD or another Chinese-based automaker. Um, He's sounding the alarm on something that doesn't seem to be very real yet because Chinese vehicles aren't coming into this country. Or is the threat in the components that are already here? Oh, what what, was it? Polar? You already have the Buick Envision coming in. Uh, some of the Volvo vehicles, particularly electric vehicles, are coming in from China. Polestar. Uh, so no, yeah, uh, Polestar is the other one. So we have at least three manufacturers that are bringing Chinese products in. And the other trick that uh, we're hearing about is that they will join a large number of foreign manufacturers setting up shop in China. So they'll be able to get around seemingly the the uh, tariffs and restrictions simply by moving things up using uh, uh using the uh, north american free trade agreement or the whatever they want to call it now uh with the revision that came out under the, the trump M- mca or yeah yeah USMCA yeah what, whatever call call it nafta too uh yeah. <laughs> so that's one one way that they could very easily get around it uh there, there's little doubt the chinese are eyeing us even if it were the most benign reasons for wanting to come to the United States, even if you don't believe uh, that that uh, they're going to spy on us or use that. And by the way, one of the things that worries is, uh, what if you have a couple million vehicles from China imported here uh, with the technology that they have a back door to, and let's say things get a little too hot between the U.S. and China, they simply send a code that shuts their vehicles down right. while they're on the highway. Right. Uh, remotely access and disable them. Uh, Mm -hmm. Very quickly before I let you go, uh, the inflation report seemed to indicate yesterday that some consumer spending is retracting a bit, especially when it comes to cars and trucks. We know that delinquency rates are up on car loans and car loan uh, rejections seem to be up. Just give us a quick status report on the market, Paul. We've only got about 90 seconds left. We've been hearing the car market would go into a deep recession for, what, three years now? Yeah, the numbers aren't quite as good as they were, but the numbers were looking extremely better than anybody had expected them to be. So uh, for the moment, I'm just saying, yeah, a little hiccup. I'm not particularly worried about it. Okay. Paul, amazingly brief. Thank you so Uh, much. We appreciate that. (laughs) You the man. (laughs) Have a great weekend, my friend. And uh, thanks for helping us put this into context. Interesting story. Thanks. We'll get you updated on the major headlines of the day. There is a new entry into the race for the U.S. Senate. It's a familiar name who once upon a time rejected the label Republican. Now he says he's GOP again. That story just ahead. The U.S. Senate race got a lot uh, more crowded on the Republican side. Justin Amash, a former congressman from West Michigan who honestly is, is more libertarian than Republican. And in fact, he resigned from the Republican Party at the end of his term and then uh, declined to uh, kind of re-enlist. Mm-hmm. He didn't run for re-election. Now that seat is in Democrat hands. Um, he is uh, going to be running for the U.S. Senate, taking on Mike Rogers, uh, Sandy Penzler, and others that are running for uh, Debbie Stabenow's seat. So a, a new entry there. And what's interesting is he's not running as an independent. He's running as a Republican. So apparently... He's back in? Yeah, which, I mean, let's face it, if anything, the, the, the party's Trumpier than it was when he yeah. rejected it back in, what was it, 2022? Right, just ahead of the 22 election. Mm-hmm. Uh, I happen to, I like Justin Amash a lot, and uh, he, his mother's a friend of mine and, and a friend of my mom's, and is a good guy. Um, so I, he'll bring a very interesting 
very libertarian kind of a, a voice to this. And we were looking forward to talking with him. We're going to try to connect and have him on. In the meantime, we should know next week whether or not the no, low labels party for those of you that are looking at the ballot as it now stands, a Trump-Biden rematch, and if you're holding your nose, you're not alone there, according to the <laughs> polls, uh, you may have another alternative. We're going to find out next week whether the No Labels Party is going to move forward. So they're after, after Super Tuesday. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the question is, who is it going to be? Well, we know that Joe Manchin said no. That's right. We know that Larry Hogan has said no. Mm-hmm. So the kind of the two names that were getting kicked around the most are going to be doing something else now. Um, so it begs the question, who might it be? That will not be determined in their get-together after Super Tuesday. That will just be whether or not they move forward. And they have said whatever they do, they have stated that it is not their intention to be spoilers for anybody and that they, if, if it appears that they will uh, hurt Biden more than Trump, then they won't get into it. So what would they do? Have some do some type of polling or something before they make a decision? They likely will look at the polling. I think they're also going to look at who is available out there, and the one that you know is called by the most would be Nikki Haley. Yeah. Um, meantime, uh, some interesting reporting about the influence of pot revenue uh, for the for our municipalities. Let me tell you, Michigan's marijuana market is proving lucrative for cities and towns, allowing recreational sales. Over $87 million will be distributed based on licensed retail stores and micro-businesses, with each municipality receiving $59,000 per business. The windfall is part of a $290.3 million tax revenue generated in 2023, with $101.6 million each allocated to the state's school and transportation funds. The figures underscore Michigan's booming cannabis industry, with 2023's revenue exceeding previous years by $28 million. Detroit alone ranking uh, uh raking in 1.9 million from 33 licensed businesses despite marijuana legalization businesses still need local approval the state witnessed a surge in new dispensaries and micro businesses jumping from 356 licenses in 2020 to a wow. staggering 1474 in 2023 we also know we 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 lead the nation now in online sports betting as well outside of vegas, outside of uh, vegas Michigan's yes. ever once. our vices have been quite lucrative <laughs> yes they uh, have to uh, to government out there um we should also point out that uh, president trump uh, president biden rather backing off on his optimism about a, a, a temporary ceasefire in gaza this is after that horrible incident yesterday the details of it the circumstances still in in dispute but 100 Gazans lost their lives, including a number of children yes. waiting for food. And allegations emerged that Israeli soldiers fired upon that crowd seeking food from the trucks, while as, uh, Israel claims soldiers responded to threats. Now, this adds to the grim toll of over 30,000 lives lost since October 2023. President Biden acknowledging the urgency, yet the complexity it adds to ceasefire negotiations. Representatives like Rashida Tlaib and Debbie Dingell, uh, alongside Congresswoman Cori Bush of Missouri, stressed the need for immediate action. Congresswoman Tlaib and I are sending a letter to President Biden underscoring again, the urgency of this growing catastrophe. We are requesting a meeting with President Biden. We are demanding an immediate, lasting ceasefire. Now, Tlaib says 53% of Michigan residents support a ceasefire. 74% of them, she says, are Democrats, and 64% are independents. We knew this is this horrible case out of Macomb County. An 86-year-old woman coming out of a salon at 12.30 in the afternoon, a mid-January day. We'd had some snow, so some... 
Trucks just, were out to salt the parking lot. It just heats me up all over again. The snowplow backs over her. Then it moves forward again, running her over twice and killing her. Now, we knew there were outstanding warrants against that driver for driving on a suspended. In our interview with Pete Lucita, the Macomb County prosecutor, just a few minutes ago, he revealed that it was significantly, significantly more infuriating and worse than that. Uh, The accused in this case, and he's innocent until proven guilty, has at least 12 driving while licensed suspended convictions. Twelve? Twelve. Twelve convictions. In fact, he has been revoked. Should have never been behind the wheel to begin with. The second thing is... He has three prior operating under the influence. Could be drugs, alcohol, but in this case here, it was drugs. And it was not just cocaine, but also methamphetamines and benzo. And and it's not just small amounts. In addition, the equipment on the vehicle was, to say the least, there was violation after violation on the vehicle. The window was impossible. To see out of. Why was that? Is it tint or that just hadn't scraped it? It it was the dirt and the debris all over the passengers and the driver's side window. And now the question becomes, how did that landscape company hire a guy with 12 driving-related priors and put him behind the wheel of a snowplow that has the ability to easily kill pedestrians? And Pete said that he... He uh, confessed that he had just taken drugs right before this incident. Yeah. Uh, and again, I mean, the, the tox report, meth, coke, et cetera. Um, beyond infuriating, and, and Pete Lucido was saying, you know, we need this addressed in the legislature so that there is some culpability on the part of an employer That's right. that doesn't do their due diligence and find out what the record is of the guy before they put him behind the wheel of one of their plows. I mean, his... His uh, his bloodstream looked like a party. Oh, absolutely. And, and 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 understand too, guy, that you know people in that situation who are drug addicted like that or on drugs, most of the time they don't care. They just want to get that next hit, so they want to go and make some money, get that cash, and go get another hit. They don't care. They they don't care who's around them. They don't care what's going. They don't care that their car is not singularly you know, focused they, on one thing. That's it. They don't care. Yeah, yeah. That's it's that's a really good point. Um, we'll hope for some accountability there, but nothing can bring that 86-year-old woman Bless back. her heart. Uh, it's uh, time to check WJR's business beat on this Friday morning. Uh, brought to you by Shelving.com. We rack your world. Here's Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of Startup Nation. Hi, Jeff. Good morning, Guy. Lloyd, Jamie, you can't talk business tactics these days without considering factors associated with generative AI. It's simply touching nearly every aspect of business in one way or the other, and we are keeping a close eye on how it's being used these days. We've got all the latest, and now a new study from Winterberry Group makes clear the impact that generative AI is having on content development for businesses. Now, first, by way of background, content development is critical for businesses because publishing content can have very positive ramifications on a business's search engine optimization objectives, and drive organic traffic that can result in sales, for which, relatively speaking, there is very little cost associated. And to achieve the objective, most marketers are now putting generative AI to work to generate the content used for these content marketing objectives. In fact, of the marketers polled, 
63% now use some form of Gen AI to drive and execute their content development. According to the study, the forecast calls for $56 billion in the U.S. to be spent on content development using Gen AI. That compares to $48 billion in 2023. Gen AI applications include online channels where marketers can engage with target audiences via content marketing and advertising, the study says. These channels include email, websites, social media platforms, search engine, SMS, and video. Now look, business is fast moving these days. To keep pace, you simply must at least consider putting the power of Gen AI to work in your content development campaigns in order to stay competitive. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, the source for everything you need to start and grow your own business. And that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, W. Despite recent setbacks, allies of former Michigan GOP chairwoman Christina Caramo persist in their battle for control over the party. This dispute, now spanning six months, has generated attention and raised concerns with GOP ranks. And as the party prepares to convene in Grand Rapids for a crucial gathering on Saturday where delegates for the national convention will be allocated, tensions are are palpable. Let's uh, get more now from Craig Mogger. He's state government and politics reporter for the Detroit News, joins us on the JR Morning Live line. Craig, good morning. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's like, can we all just get along? I mean, this is like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got the setbacks from the court rulings. You got the loss of the endorsement from Donald Trump and the opposition from the RNC. Why are these allies from Christina Caramo still trying to push for control over the party? You know, it's a wonderful question. They have a presidential election now that's nine months away, and Michigan could be one of the states to decide whether a Republican or a Democrat holds the White House. And the supporters of Christina Caramo, who have suffered all of these losses, uh, these losses that have said, you guys are not in charge of the Michigan Republican Party any longer. Despite all of that, they're continuing to press on because it appears the most important thing to them at this moment is winning back control of the party. And and they're taking steps to try to do that. It looks like as of this hour, they're going to try to hold a competing presidential caucus, which is astounding. It also looks like they're still controlling the party's website, even though they're not supposed to be yes. in charge of the party under a judge's <laughs> order. Right. I mean, that's where we are right now. So, you know, regarding the allocation of national convention delegates, I mean, how is that going to work? It's not going to work out well for them because Pete Hoekstra's caucus is the one that's been recognized by a judge uh, by the Republican National Committee. So his, the people that show up in Grand Rapids for his event are going to decide how to allocate 39 delegates to the RNC. This is a big deal. Tuesday's presidential primary got all of the headlines. That decided how 16 delegates were going to be allocated. 39 will be allocated on Saturday in Grand Rapids. Then you're going to have some members of the Republican Party show up for this alternative event that Christina Caramo appears to be still planning for Detroit. They apparently paid to reserve this space in Huntington Place. It's a little bit unclear whether that reservation is still there, given Mm -hmm. the fact that a judge said you can't spend money uh, from the Republican Party after January 6th. But they're going to apparently show up. What they're going to do, how they're going to try to do it, I don't know. It's also possible that some of them show up in Grand Rapids and try to disrupt that event. It's going to be an interesting weekend. 
Well, and that's, I mean, it's kind of, I, I know you and others have been hard at work trying to talk to the folks at Huntington in the uh, convention uh, booking office there to determine whether or not that is still there. But, yeah, it begs the question, who holds the checkbook? It's Pete Oakstra. Supposedly, but she's still sp- yeah. she's still spending money in the name of the party if she's booked that room. And that's that's kind of a question. Uh, there is some indication that Pete Hoekstra might have reached out to Huntington Place and said, hey, any money that they spent with you after January 6th, they are not legally able to do. So we want to cancel this reservation. I have not got a clear answer from Huntington Place or from Hoekstra's team about exactly what happened with that, if that has occurred. But we saw yesterday, early evening, supporters of Karamo online saying we're having this event at Huntington Place. If you pull up the party's website, it's still listed there with a countdown clock to show up at Huntington Place. There are delegates who are saying they're going to go there. So something's going to happen, it appears. What that is, I I don't know. There's this guy named Owen that I know you and some of our other (laughs) colleagues are are having kind of a back and forth with. But he he tried to say online, and I, I know he claims to be a grassroots activist, he may or may not be Christina Caramo's communications director of the moment, but he claims that the judge has no jurisdiction over them. It's a quite an interpretation of the law. He is, a, and this is what I've heard from other supporters of Caramo. They're drawing this distinction. The judge said Christina Caramo is no longer chair, and she has to stop acting like she's chair. They're arguing that that doesn't impact all of Karamo's allies who are in these leadership positions within the party. The party's treasurer is a Karamo ally, the person who writes the check, the party's secretary, the person who runs these meetings often. Those are two individuals who support Christina Karamo and apparently still hold their positions. And I'm going to guess, and I'm going to bet that they're going to show up at the Saturday convention in Detroit and say, hey, we're the ones that are in charge of doing these things, and we're going to do it at Karamo's meeting. Will law, will law enforcement have to get involved since there are court orders and, you know, and, yeah. and the judge says, you know, you have to abide by my order? Will law enforcement have to become involved? It would have to be, uh, you know, someone would have to file something, I would think, with the judge and say, hey, she's violating your order. And then the judge would have to take an action in response to that and say, hey, we got to shut this down if that were going to happen. I haven't seen any sign of this yet. Christina seems to be walking a very uh, thin line. She is not claiming that she's the chair. You don't see her posting on social media about the event in Detroit right now. So, I mean, they're trying to kind of separate these two things. So I don't, I don't know how a judge could say you're expressly violating the order because it's all these other people doing it. So it's, 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 uh, it's really strange. Unless he he just tries, unless he expands that order. Yes, that's possible. (laughs) And there was some wording in the original order that said, you know, you and people under you cannot act like you are chair. So the question, and and this is what the opponents of Christina's lawyers have said, you know, these other people in holding this separate convention, they're acting as Christina is the chair because she is the only person that could call this meeting. She's the person that could run the meeting. So how can you have a separate meeting if Christina is not involved? And it's a a question that I've not heard an answer from Karamo's team. Well, we know the day will bring more developments, and uh, we'll be yes. watching them under your your byline. Got to ask you a, a story on a different matter, and, and I assume that you have uh, been looking at this, and that is um, with with the change in leadership at the RNC, uh, Ronald Romney McDaniel out, um, uh, others in, including uh, President Trump's former President Trump's uh, daughter-in-law, Laura Trump. 
there's a question about whether or not the RNC could use its funding to pay his legal fees or perhaps yeah. even his legal judgments. Nikki Haley coming out strongly yesterday saying we need a vote on a resolution uh, that was came out of Mississippi saying, hey, we need to make sure that every dollar we raise goes to beating Democrats, not paying someone's mm-hmm. legal bills. Yeah, and I think that's really the crux of what's happening with kind of this dispute about the future of the RNC right now. It appears that the RNC is getting as close as possible to Donald Trump right now because he is the likely GOP nominee. Is he the nominee as of this moment? No. Will he likely be the nominee? Yes. So they've got this question they've got to answer of how close do they get with Donald Trump at this moment? And then that secondary question, I mean, I, I can't answer it for him. They've got to answer. Are they willing to pay, you know, use hard dollars that they raised from donors who wanted to help Republicans to pay these legal expenses of the former president? And then how does that affect the donors who are writing the checks? Are they going to still want to give to the RNC when their money is not going to win these races across the country, but going to pay legal expenses? It, it, that's a tough one for the RNC, I'd say. Yeah. Um, What do you make? No label says it will make a decision next week whether to back a unity ticket. Um, What do you think will come of that? Some of their likeliest candidates have said no thanks. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know what no labels is ultimately going to decide. I I think there's a real possibility that you're going to see third party candidates, whether it's no labels, the Libertarian Party or something else you know, that are going to play a major role in this election. I mean, as things stand at this moment right now, this is an election in Michigan specifically that could be decided by one or two percentage points. Could third party candidates get one or two percentage points, you know, the deciding votes in this election? Very possibly. That was the story, I think, coming out of Tuesday's primary. There are a lot of people in this state on both sides of the aisle, on all sides of the political spectrum, that don't want to cast a ballot for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Are they going to be forced to pick between the two, or are they going to be able to take a third option that has no chance of winning but will make them feel better about their vote? That could decide this election in a lot of ways. Forcing them to pick between Trump and Biden effectively, you know, that's a lot of votes that will then be divvied up among the two instead of going to a third option. Donald Trump's probably going to be around 47% to 48% in this election. If you talk to all the pundits, that's where he hangs. You know, where does Joe Biden end up? Does he have 47 below Trump or does he get 50 percent above Trump? That could be determined by these third party candidates. It's very important to watch that. Well, and not to mention the the turnout that may be depressed by people that are outraged and concerned about what's happening in Gaza. Um, There are so many external influences here. Craig Munger, have a great weekend. Uh, We've got Autorama and something that may be just as dramatic at Huntington Place (laughs) this weekend. Thank you all for having me. All right. Take care. And coming up, a woman missing since 2017, back with her family following a tip to MSP. We'll talk to the lieutenant from Michigan State Police after this. Just days ago, a woman missing since 2017 was discovered in a motel in Inkster, sending shockwaves through her family and the community. In an unexpected turn of events, the woman managed to reach out to her family herself, revealing that she was being held against her will. This marks the first contact her family has had with her in years, igniting Questions about her mysterious disappearance and the circumstances surrounding her captivity. Let's get the latest now from Michigan State Police First Lieutenant Mike Shaw. Lieutenant, good morning. 
Good morning. How are you today? I am well, and thank God this woman was able to reach out to someone and police were able to find her. You know, it doesn't always end up that way. It, it doesn't always end up that way, and it, it's it's a courageous act on her part uh, to reach out to a family because a lot of times that people are put in these, in these type of situations, um, they're so either mentally beat down or physically beat down or something else is going on that they almost get to the point where they're just so afraid to try to get out of that situation themselves. So this case was particularly hard because once you turn 18, you can walk away from your family if you want, and there's really no law broken or anything like that. So it makes these type of human trafficking possibly cases Mm -hmm. uh, tough to investigate at first because you don't know exactly what's going on. People we, coming are we learning more, form. Mike? Was she taken against her will? Yeah, what's the circumstances uh, so, of disappearance? So, no, there, there's nothing that's pointing out that she was taken against her will. Um, it, it seems like that she just left her family and then ended up in a situation where she couldn't get out of it, which is right. the predominant mm-hmm. way that human trafficking actually works. So uh, all the uh, social media posts and some of the rumors that go around there are about people getting kidnapped from Great Lakes Crossing Mall or somebody putting a dollar bill under your windshield. That's not how it happens. Mm-hmm. Human trafficking basically happens where either it's a runaway child, somebody under 18, um, that is befriended by one of these traffickers, pimps, uh, yep. criminals, whatever word that you have for them. And then they get put into a situation that they just can't get out of either by being physically abused, uh, mentally abused, or now with uh, another part of the opioid epidemic is you know, people get addicted to these narcotics mm-hmm. and these traffickers will hold those off of them mm-hmm. uh, to keep them from leaving. And you you captured significant amounts of evidence of other criminal activity in that in that motel room. We did. So basically, when detectives got the the tip, they started to use some technology, some different ways to kind of focus in on to that particular area of that motel. Uh, when detectives approached the door, they they heard some some noises inside there that sounded like crying or screaming. Um, when they entered the room, uh, they were able to to rescue the 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 woman who is in her thirties. Uh, get her out of there, and then naturally we asked for a search warrant uh, to go back into that room to search it, uh, look for elements of a crime. And that's what we're doing now is trying to determine, one, um, how long she had been in that particular area, um, how she got in that situation, and if a crime occurred. Uh, that's our big three now. But our first most important focus was to get her the help she needed medically, uh, get her reunited with her family, and then putting her in with some nonprofit groups to kind of help her work her way through this and come from a victim to a survivor. What about the suspect? Have you identified one as of yet? So we do have somebody that we're looking at that we would call a suspect. Uh, We're in the process of uh, going to find that person, interview them, uh, see if there's other people that are involved in this. And kind of the the tough part of the investigation is Mm -hmm. going on now. Um, And also, you know, we're, we're giving her time as well to kind of, before we really start asking her a lot of questions, mm-hmm, things like sure. that. We want to get her medically prepared for that because uh, that it, it appears to be that, you know, she's been a tough time when you're, you're missing from your family from 2017 till now. Um, we got to fill in that gap between 17 and 24. Wow. Well, you know, the, it, it, sometimes you see this youthful rebellion, but, you know, they, they as you point out, when they realize they've made a mistake, then it's often – uh, too late. Do we know if this uh, suspect has any priors, Lieutenant? 
Uh, we don't know if there's any priors to this person. That's part of our background investigation yeah. is to kind of start digging into this person to see if there's something there. Um, we haven't had contact with this particular motel before in the city of Inkster. Um, so, but I, I think people are surprised because this kind of serves up to the, the social media aspect where you see the, the rundown motel, so to speak, and no offense to the owner of this establishment, but um, this happens in high-end areas as well oh, and yeah. you know, one of the things that we're going to work uh with our partners during the time is when the draft comes we also see an increase in this type of activity as well you know, so. tra traditionally when you rescue someone like this does it lead to the rescue of other women as well usually it does it's, it's pretty rare that you run across one of these cases where it's just one person that's being trafficked um we've had cases where uh, somebody gave us a tip. We ended up going into a to a house in right in the middle of a neighborhood um, where there was 11 to 12 uh, people in there that were victims of human trafficking with three or four different um, traffickers that were operating out of that area. So usually it kind of is a little bit bigger um, than just one person. Right. So that's one thing that we're interested to is to make sure that we're not leaving somebody behind. Because that raises the stakes to get this guy quickly. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that's uh, to get him. And, and again, you know, we may work through this whole process and find out um, that maybe that she was in a position for a while um, and decided it was time to come home, too. And there was no crime that took place. So, you know, that that's the tough part when it's an adult is trying to figure out exactly, you know, when the person left, why, why they thought they're being held against their will. And there's a lot of, we got to jump a lot of hurdles to get to, yeah. to that part of the investigation. To the family, it doesn't matter. They've got her home, right? That's right. That is. Yeah. And, and you got to feel good too, though, Lieutenant. You're, you're, you're men and women uh, on the force that you played a role in bringing this woman back yeah. to her family. Absolutely. And, and, and the, you know, the stepmother that came forward and, and told police, because a lot of people won't do that. And, and some of it is, you know, because they don't want to get involved. The other parts is that they just, they're not sure, right? You don't want to be the one that, you know, to calls the police and find out you sent them to a place that nothing absolutely was happening. But, you know, I want to remind people, uh, just because you call the police doesn't mean that we go in there and boot somebody's door open, you know, right afterwards, just going by the word that you think something happened. We're going to look into it and investigate it a lot more before we actually knock on that door to make contact with somebody to see if there's that what you think is suspicious actually is a crime. Lieutenant, I got to change gears, gears a little bit. Uh, there's been a lot of road rage. There's at least three, I think, road rage incidents. And one this has, week. Yeah, and one has, uh, you know, was a fatality. What is going on with people and this road rage yeah. and pulling guns and, and things? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Lloyd, because I wasn't going to let you get away without bringing that up because, <laughs> you know, we've seen that as well. And it's just driving, right? I mean, and you got to kind of police yourself. We, we get a lot of comments, right? Well, if there's more police out there. You know, we, we can't get we can't get in everybody's back seat and give them a smack on the back of the head when they start acting <laughs> yeah. the fool behind the wheel. Right. So some of it has to be self policing, right? And we all know if we all know a family member, we all know if it's us that has trouble with road rage. Um, there's some things that you can do to try to prevent that. And if you are somebody that gets hot behind the collar because they can't handle the responsibility of driving, you know, Remind yourself when you get behind the wheel, take a breath. You know, I got to be calm. Leave earlier to where you're going. So if you run across construction, it doesn't get you mad. If somebody's driving in the left lane and you don't like it too bad, get over it, move on. Um, but one thing that we have seen is, and you know, we'll make some people upset about this, but is, is guns, right? So 
guns involved in the car for us, and I can only speak about our investigations, uh, the three out of the four last road rage incidents we've had involved a gun, and they were all CPL holders. So if you're a CPL holder and you have a trouble managing your, your emotions when getting behind the wheel, separate yourself from that gun. Leave it at home. Put it in the trunk. Do something that keeps you separate from that gun because it only takes a split second to ruin you, your life by going to prison or even worse, taking somebody else's life. Just remember, it's just driving. There's rule, there are rules to have a CPL and, you know. Yeah. Well, and that's one thing, you know, that you can guarantee, too, is we're going to do everything we possibly can. If you use a, if you have a CPL and you use a firearm in a felonious assault situation, uh, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that you never have a CPL again. Lieutenant Mike Shaw, Michigan State Police, we appreciate your time always on JR Morning. Thank you. Yep, and you guys have a good weekend. You, you as too. well. When we come back, it's a bipartisan commission with recommendations to keep our kids safer. So why haven't any of the recommendations been enacted? We'll tackle that next on JR Morning. Automotive Views now with Jamie Butters, brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Learn more at michiganbusiness.org. How big of a threat to the Detroit Three's plans are Chinese electric vehicles? China has had an array of policies to support the development of a world-leading EV industry, from mining and refining to battery tech to consumer incentives. Remember BYD? It once had a pretty shabby-looking display at the Detroit Auto Show. In the fourth quarter of last year, it sold more EVs than Tesla, and it supplies batteries for some of Tesla's Model Y crossovers. Now the Chinese EV giant is preparing to build an assembly plant in Mexico, which could avoid the steep 25% tariffs the U.S. charges on autos made in China. Top BYD executive says the intent is only to serve the local market there in Mexico, not to come to the U.S., but whether it's sooner or later, whether it's BYD or another brand, the Chinese are coming. It's up to Detroit, with help from Washington, to meet the challenge. With this week's Automotive View, I'm Jamie Butters, host of the Daily Drive podcast and executive editor of Automotive News. In the tragic aftermath of the shootings at Oxford High School and at Michigan State University, And just because uh, a group of bipartisan lawmakers was impaneled to look at recommendations for school safety, things that we could all agree on. You would think. Yeah. Not gun control legislation, not not, not putting guns in teachers' hands, not the the more extreme approaches, but the stuff in the middle. Just giving uh, school resource officers more resources. Mm Mm-hmm. So they they got together. They put together a very sound list of recommendations, and now it's getting kind of dusty. It's sitting on a shelf. And the question for the Democrat leadership in the Senate and this split leadership in the House is, why aren't you doing anything with it? This was decent work product. And what are we waiting for, another one to happen? Yeah, that will keep our kids safe. And those questions are being asked by people like, our next guest, Jamie Green, is a Republican from Richmond, a state representative in the 102nd District and vice chair of the House Education Committee. Representative Green, good morning. Uh, good morning, Guy and Lloyd. So give us a sense, just to kind of underscore, that these are not evolutionary or revolutionary ideas, but they are sound constructs that could make a difference. You found some middle ground. What are you proposing that, that came out of this panel that should be under consideration? Well, um, so, for example, my bill, which I actually had a conversation two weeks ago with a brand new SRO officer, which is a school resource officer in Emily City. And he was like, 
hey, Jamie, you know what? My radio doesn't work throughout the school. And is there something you could do that to help us, a grant process or anything? And I was like, hey, Officer Eastlick, actually, my bill does just that. It makes that we can have an emergency responder radio coverage system that operates and integrates with the state's public safety communication system. And that's actually taken language right out of my bill. And so it's very basic stuff that is already done. I've already worked on this bill a year ago, actually a year ago. And it is unfortunate that we have had politics get into the way for over a year and a month to have a hearing on or a committee process, go through the committee process, where that's where actual legislation works out. The committee process is where bills are refined, amended, improved, and it's been over a year since these school safety packages were introduced, and yet there has been no progress moving forward through the committee process. And Jamie, you know, as vice chair of the House Education Committee, you're you're in a unique position to influence policy decisions related to education. How do you how do you deal with and navigate these challenges of this partisanship, and and still trying to prioritize prioritize the best interests of the safety of Michigan students? Well, I would say that we were communicating really well. I understand that I'm in the minority, so I'm not always going to get my way. And um, I've let some things go. We've gone through this, lots of repealing of things that I agreed with. And, you know, I mean, I've just kind of listened, of course, made some comments, Mm -hmm. but never made anything explosive. But now after the break, communications have broken down and I'm just getting tired of all the games and all the the uh, legislation that has been passed that is not a priority. Let's I mean, don't even put a nickel in me about the solar siting and the removal of local control that was passed and all the crazy election stuff and then the gun legislation. I mean, there's just been so many other things that have been prioritized by the Democrats and school safety is not it. So do we wait for another shooting to happen and then we bring, you know, this plan of yours out, you know, from the dust? Did they just let it sit there now because it's, you know, maybe it's not uh, something they want to deal with. But we wait to another shooting. Then now all of a sudden we sit back down and try to come together. And where is it? Is it in is it stuck in committee? Is Speaker Tate's seat sitting on it? Where where is this bill? It's it's in committee. So Representative Meerman and Representative Breen have been working on this package for actually years. And so uh, we had a lot of new legislators come in last year. And so they reintroduced the package. Now, granted, I believe they were waiting for the Oxford report to come out to see if they needed to make some changes. But that was, again, this last fall, and it still has not had a committee hearing. And, you know, we're at 54-54 split. Why not bring forward things we actually agree, agree on? on. Yeah. Yes. And this is something. There are just as many Republicans on this bill package as there are Democrats on this package. And like I said, the committee process is where things get worked out. So if it's not perfected, like then it's okay. Let's work it out in the committee because historically this last year, we have not perfected anything that has come through. I mean, we've even had 
uh, legislation that had to be revisited due to errors or conflicts with existing laws, or there was, right. I mean, it's just been crazy. Things that have passed have been nowhere near perfected, and now they keep claiming that this needs to be perfection, so, but it is just being delayed. I, I know you're consensus-minded. When you reach out to Democrats on the other side who have contributed to these bills, who have sponsored some of these bills, when you ask them, hey, what's up with your leadership? Why aren't they lighting a fire here and let's get this thing started? What do they tell you? It's really just kind of crickets. It's It's been unfortunate, and they're getting angry with me, actually, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble right now because not with us. Like, <laughs> but with them, and and it's unfortunate that it's they're they're upset that they feel that we're not doing the work, or and and I have worked on my bill, so my bill is done. At least give mine a hearing, then mine is ready to go. But there, but again, there it's a huge package. We at least need to start one by one because it's going to take a couple weeks to get through this. We're going to have to put some more work into it. Let's start the work and let's stop delaying. Well, uh, we wish you well, Representative Green. It is uh, it is one of those things that, you know, so we get so caught up in the partisan fighting and we know everybody's got a posture and and do their bit for their side. But when you really talk to the majority of voters out there, yes, they're fans of one party or another. But the one thing they agree on is they want to see something get done. And this is one of those things. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. When we come back, the chaos within the Republican Party has led to hundreds of delegates who won't be eligible tomorrow. Listen, at 816 or thereabout, we got something nice for you. We'll give you uh, tickets to the Michigan Golf Show coming up in about 15 minutes or thereabouts. And we will also give you the chance to qualify for a stay-and-play package up at Tullamore Resort. Great course there in mid-Michigan, not even a half a tank away from here. And uh, that uh, we'll have that for you coming. With the uh, weather, man, you're going. You, you're thinking you almost, golf, right? <laughs> yeah, you may not have to wait for the golf show. You might be able to go this weekend. Um, Got to tell you, Lloyd, we remember the lone man who stood in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square. Mm-hmm. There are those rare moments of defiance in the face of oppression and persecution yeah. that should inspire and stir you. And we're watching one right now in Moscow. And you brought this up earlier this morning and, and brought it to my attention. The very risky business of mourning Alexei Navalny. Yes. I mean, you know, people are there uh, to uh, pay their respects, but it could be dangerous. I mean, people have been arrested for just mourning him or going to uh, a makeshift uh, area. Memorial. Memorial. They've They've been arrested. So, you know, anything could happen. And if his wife is there and she said some inflammatory things, um, you know, it could be dangerous for her as well. She is carrying on in his footsteps and certainly doesn't want to replace him in the gulag. Um, but uh, there were thousands outside this church on the outskirts of Moscow chanting Navalny, Navalny, and saying, you were not afraid and we are not afraid. Uh, saying a, a direct message to the man likely responsible for his death, Vladimir Putin. Meantime, Putin... Uh, pushing back on French President uh, Macron's suggestion that maybe it's time for NATO troops to enter Ukraine, Uh, something that wasn't shared or endorsed by other members of NATO, (laughs) but Putin answering by saying, well, uh, you risk nuclear war if you do that, and threatening nuclear war by saying, we are capable of targeting within your borders. Um, so some pretty harsh words. I don't know what that did to the doomsday clock, but it certainly didn't move it back. No, it didn't. Um, we, uh, we, 
have been following this case, and we got good and whipped up about it yesterday. A woman, 86 years old, <sighs> leaving a salon in Macomb County, uh, run over by a snowplow that was backing up to salt the, the parking lot. Mm-hmm. She didn't see it. She gets run over. The driver then puts it in drive and dr- runs over her again. Now we find out that he had, according to the prosecutor, coke, meth, a lot of drugs in his system that he was driving while impaired. And we had heard that he may have had four priors. Right. Well, it ended up being, and we had a good discussion with Macomb County Prosecutor Pete Lacido about this. He revealed on WJR exclusively this morning that it's a lot worse than that. Uh, the accused in this case, and he's innocent until proven guilty, has at least 12 driving while license suspended convictions. Twelve! Twelve. Twelve convictions. In fact, he has been revoked. Should have never been behind the wheel to begin with. The second thing is he has three prior operating under the influence. Could be drugs, alcohol, but in this case here it was drugs. And it was not just cocaine, but also methamphetamines and benzo. And, And it's not just small amounts. In addition, the equipment on the vehicle was, to say the least, there was violation after violation on the vehicle. The window was impossible to see out of. Why was that? And Is it tint or that no, just hadn't no. scraped it? it? Was, it was the dirt and the debris all over the passenger's and the driver's side window. It just keeps getting worse. It's just, it's just horrible. And uh, an 86-year-old woman lost her life. And it, it should draw some scrutiny into how drivers are recruited by these landscape companies because mm-hmm. it's not most of it is an on-call job yeah and they may be day day workers right day workers and they you as know, get, needed and they get paid the same day yeah you know probably mm-hmm. in cash and cash yeah and, and the here's the question i mean if it's done that way have you done your due diligence did this company do the due diligence how do you miss 12 priors of driving on a suspended no, no, because they need a driver, and, you know, they're behind. They need some drivers, so who wants to drive today? Oh, you got a call from Joe, so Joe wants to drive. Okay, Joe, go out to this place and, and take care of this, uh, you know, this parking lot for me. And Joe is hitting his stash while he's doing that Absol- and, yeah. and, and is higher than a kite. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's, it, it begs a lot of questions, and I'm not throwing scorn. We know there's a, some great landscape companies out there that do their due diligence and do it right. These folks should bear some responsibility mm-hmm. for what happened to that 86-year-old mother and grandmother. Because the ones who do it right, they're upset too. Yeah, no no question about it. We've been watching the uh, the chaos that's been happening in the Republican Party, and it may have cost some delegates dearly. Um, there was a deadline for registering to attend Pete Hoekstra, who is, according to the courts, a, the legitimate chairman of the Michigan GOP. And uh, more than 200 delegates, I would imagine most of them followers of Christina Caramo, have missed the February 21st deadline to register for the event. So all of this infighting, all of this chaos has cost 200 delegates their very voice that they claim to be fighting for because they didn't register. Um, That event will will go on as planned, uh, and it appears that the rogue rump convention, whatever you want to call it. At Huntington Place? At Huntington Place is going to continue as well. Um, Huntington Place not saying that it's been canceled, and it begs the question, who's paying for it? Who's paying for it? But, you know, Christina Caramo has some of her people still embedded in there who control 
think they're not supposed to because we have a the judge's judge order. Said as of January yes. 6th, you can't sign any check, and any check you sign should be void. So um, yeah, really, really interesting. And uh, in the meantime, it, it's just it's it's begotten uh, more chaos. One of the most disturbing lawsuits I've heard in a while, and as I read the story in the free press from Teresa Baldus Lloyd, yeah. it made me wondering if I wasn't reading a Jim Crow era newspaper oh. in the Deep South. No, that's what it sounds like. Uh, former black employees of Lake Orion's Environmental Wood Solutions, they're taking a stand against racial profiling and harassment with the lawsuit. Allegations include rampant racial harassment, unequal pay based on race, and truck sabotage. The suit sheds light on disturbing incidents such as white employees using racial slurs, referring to black workers and other racially derogatory names, and sabotaging trucks. Despite complaints, the company allegedly took little action and even retaliated against the workers. Former employees led a protest in December of 2023, demanding justice, the company, in response to recent reports, issued a statement denying the allegations and affirming its commitment to a safe and respectful workplace. However, a jury will never hear the workers' claims because workers were required to sign arbitration agreements when they got hired, which means they cannot sue the company over workplace disputes in a court of law. But wait a minute. That's not a workplace dispute. That's a civil rights complaint. That's what they're calling it. So, yeah. It is a civil rights complaint, but, of course, the the company is calling it a workplace dispute. And the lawsuit was first filed in Wayne County Circuit Court in May of 2023, hoping that the case would get to a jury. But the case was eventually transferred to federal court, where on January 10th of this year, U.S. District Judge Matthew Lightman ordered the matter into arbitration. So now a private arbitrator will hear the complaints and decide whether wrongdoing occurred. Now, attorneys for Environmental Wood Solutions, meanwhile, they're working to have the whole case dismissed in its entirety. But the full story in the Detroit Free Press, Teresa Baldis has that story. We were talking earlier with, uh, we're just going to lighten it up a minute before we get yeah. to this break. Because that's that's one of the most disturbing stories I've heard in a long time. We'll see where that shakes out. Mike, we were talking earlier this morning. Mike Parsons was looking for some fun things to do. We were talking about the Powerball that's coming up tonight. Yeah. Um, we got something for you, Mike. The the polar plunge is taking uh, event is is taking place this weekend over on Muskegon Lake. Oh yeah, you yeah. say you were looking for excitement. Well, I think no, that'll get you... your that'll get your <laughs> it'll really get your blood pumping. Yeah, it, th- that's all the rage. The cold plunge. Uh, I'd rather be more of a donator than a participant. I'm 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 a real wuss when it comes to getting into cold water. Well, and I bring it up because the polar plunge is a charity. It is. Uh, it's it comes to us from the Michigan Special Olympics. And if you go to the, the Michigan Polar Plunge website, it's easy to find. There is a, an ability to donate to any one of, I think there's over a dozen mm-hmm. of them statewide. Uh, I think there's one down here next weekend uh, where folks, for if you donate to their cause, in this case, Michigan Special Olympics, they'll they'll take the, the, the <laughs> that chilly plunge Mm-mm. in whatever body of water I think that they can find. Uh, and, and nobody, I, I, everybody wants to do it in the name of charity, but nobody's happier that we've had a mild winter than those guys, even though I think at 33 degrees, it's oh, still yeah. mighty cold. And she said, he said, Renee, uh, hosted one last weekend. Really? Home County polar plunge. I'm actually on the committee. Really? Yes. And did, did you plunge? I did not, but my husband did. This was his fifth year plunging. Wow. So yeah. spousal abuse was involved. <laughs> 
is all for a good cause. They raised $68,000 for the excellent. Special Olympics of Michigan. That's oh, my Lord. That's good, good on you and, and, and good for him. Thank That's you. terrific. They actually jumped into Lake St. Clair. Wow. And apparently lived to tell about it. <laughs> <laughs> He's almost unfrozen. Though is he still He's talking like, like that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, well, that's con- uh, congratulations, Renee. Thanks Thank for you. doing that. That's a, that's a great, uh, great cause. Thank you. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, some uh, new restrictions put on witnesses in the uh, Crumbly case, the yes. James Crumbly case, mm-hmm. uh, stemming from the Oxford High School. That starts shooting. Monday. Yeah, it's right around the corner. Uh, We'll get to that. Also, we've got some tickets to give away to the Michigan Golf Show. Meantime, have you looked at your lawn lately? Does it have that winter kill, the snow mold? Uh, Does it look like that, you know, could you pull it up with very little roots (laughs) underneath? If that lawn uh, is familiar to me, well, that's what mine looked like five years ago. Until I partnered up with Natural Way Lawn and Tree Service. These guys, I can't say enough about them. Um, They developed a very specific plan just for my lawn, for the grubs that were taking it, taking hold and everything else. And what I like about them is, you know, I've got pets, I've got grandkids. Uh, They use fewer chemicals, environmentally sound practices, very attuned to uh, the fact that there are folks that are going to be playing on that lawn. They've got certified applicators and arborists that really know what they're doing, and they will give you your custom-tailored solution specifically for your yard and home. They've got a 100% satisfaction guarantee. And right now, if you purchase this uh, pre-pay program, pre-season program, if you will, you can save big with their early bird discount. You purchase a full-on program, you get free grub control, but you need to mention my name, Guy Gordon and WJR. Do it today. Get started. By the time you see the crabgrass, it's too late. And with spring starting early, you want to start early, too. Natural Way Lawn and Tree Service. Get green. Stay green with Natural Way. 888-GET-GREEN. The number to call. 888 or 888-GET-GREEN. Do it today. You heard the forecast there. We got temperatures into the 50s, hitting the 60s, and on Monday, I think, into the 70s. And if your golf clubs are calling to you, uh, your answer may be, hey, I'm going to go look for some new ones at the Michigan Golf Show. Uh, be caller number nine right now at 1-800-859-0WJR, 1-800-859-0957. You're going to win four tickets to the Michigan Golf Show, which is uh, coming up March 8th, uh, just a week from today, at the uh, Suburban Collection Showplace out in Novi. Runs through the 10th. I'm going to be out there uh, next Friday. Uh, I'm going to be hanging out at the hole-in-one competition that they oh. set up an indoor Hole-in-one competition, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, This will also qualify you to win our grand prize, a Tullamore Resort stay-and-play package for you and a guest, including a two-night stay at the resort, 18-hole rounds with a cart on both Tully and at St. Ives. I can tell you I've played them both. My dad was a charter member of both. Uh And they are fabulous golf courses, and they're so close. They're right here in mid-Michigan, just south of Big Rapids. So uh, really easy. And then for a bonus chance to qualify to win, text the keyword GOLF. To 800 We want to make sure everybody's qualified. That's a great package. And thanks to our friends at Tullamore and St. Ives for that. And I'll see you out at the Michigan Golf Show next Friday. And, Guy, the trial for James Crumley, the father of the Oxford High School shooter, gets underway next Tuesday. I thought, I think I said Monday, but it's actually next Tuesday. It's mm. the 5th. And the judge in the case has handled, uh, handed down an important ruling 
that could impact the outcome of the case. We get the latest now from WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne. Good morning, Marie. And good morning, everyone. This, a student who was injured in the school shooting will be allowed to testify in the James Crumley trial. Prosecutors had wanted to call two students. They're both now 18 years old. They wanted to call them to the stand during the trial so they could provide important information about what happened inside the school during the shooting spree on November 30th of 2021. Judge Cheryl Matthews ruled that one of those students can testify and the prosecution will be allowed to pick which student takes the stand. The defense had wanted to block either student from testifying, saying that the testimony would only inflame the emotions of the jury and prejudice, uh, prejudice them against their client, be needlessly cumulative, and a waste of time. That was the w- words of the defense. The judge, though, didn't agree with that. Surveillance video of the shooting provided some context, according to the prosecutors, but they thought that the eyewitnesses could add important information to that picture, and the judge did agree with that. Finally, guys, uh, uh, Jennifer Crumley, of course, became the first parent ever to be convicted for a mass shooting uh, committed by her child. She was convicted on four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Her husband, uh, James, here faces the same. He's pleaded not guilty, of course. And the the issue here is that at uh, Jennifer Crumley's trial, no student testified. It was the teacher, one of the teachers, and one of the assistant principals, and that was all that was allowed. But here there is just this one bit of difference. And, Marie, I understand, too, that the student that will testify, whoever that student may be, cannot talk about, like, their suffering and their pain or what they went through. They, they can't talk about that. Um, that's what the, uh, the parameters that were laid out. So we'll see, um, you know, that's going to be a really tough yeah. um, dance. That's going to be a very tough dance for uh, both the prosecutor and the defense in this case. So we'll see how that unfolds uh, at the trial. You know, it is important to document so many things for the jury. I know that there's restrictions on this, but can the the student witness at least testify to the trauma of witnessing and experiencing that event? Mm. That's a good question. I, you know, I don't know how much of we know how it is when you're watching a trial. Sometimes, you know, they start treading into areas. Oh my that, goodness, the Jennifer yeah. Crumbly trial! All kinds <laughs> of things popped into the record that yes, they weren't expecting. Yes, yeah, that they were not expecting. So, you know, we'll be watching this pretty closely. Um, so we'll see on that. But the idea here is that the, this student will just by setting the scene, just by saying. Here's what I saw. Here's what I, you know, I walked out of the bathroom and I saw this or this happened in front of me. They feel that that's enough to add important context to, let's just say, watching a surveillance video. Mm-hmm. So, But we'll see how far they tread into this other area. Hmm. I just, I, I, I don't want to see the trauma of the event mm. sanitized because it's important that while we're determining the consequences for it, that that be in the record. And oh, and, yeah. And I hope that that isn't censored or sanitized in any way, because that's part of the damage. It's not just right. the, yeah. the, 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 the heaven knows the young people we lost, the young the, the people that were wounded, both adult and, and juvenile. All of that matters. But so does the emotional trauma, which these young people and others that witnessed it are going to be facing for the rest of their they lives. They continue to face. That's right.
Right. And during a Jennifer Crumley's trial, if you remember, they called the one teacher to the stand and, you know, she walked through what happened to her that day. I mean, she talked about watching the shooter raise his arm and point the gun at her and pull the trigger and all this. And she was shaking like a leaf when she was mm. giving this testimony. That was yeah. very powerful. That was very, those were not words that she was saying. It was her demeanor and it was very powerful. So that does have an impact on the jury. So just seeing perhaps this young person, by the way, they are again 18 years old at this time, mm -hmm. but just seeing that young person on the, on the stand that will be a picture that the jury will carry into the deliberation room. That, that witness that you just described who was so emotionally moved by the testimony, is that one of the witnesses that has withdrawn and said that they couldn't testify in this case because it was such now, a traumatic event? I am not a guy. I'm not sure I can Okay, because I know that we, know. We, there were at least two of them with, yeah. that withdrew, which made the testimony of the student necessary. And it was... Honestly, it was somewhat frustrating. I know it, it, it must have been terribly hard for them to testify. But now you're putting the burden on a young person, mm -hmm. which is really unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, this is just a difficult case. I mean, as we have said a thousand times, all the way around. And these trials are so important. But again, they do require people to relive the worst moments of their lives. We've only got a few seconds left. Can I just toot your horn for a moment? You were a winner of the Michigan oh. Association of Broadcasters Yay! Award for, for breaking news yesterday. And it's all, yeah. But it involved a very difficult breaking news that came out of Michigan State yes. roughly a year ago. You and Chris Renwick, uh, on the spur of the moment, anchoring our coverage of what was happening up at Michigan State. And congratulations on that great job, uh, in, you know, in a, in a difficult event for everybody. Uh, well, thank but, you. We had a lot of, you know, Ann Thomas, Laura Hessen, Tom Jordan. So many people were behind the scenes, you know, just springing into action, getting on, you know, and helping out with that. So it was, it was, uh, you know, we were surprised by that one and we were really grateful. Yeah, thank you. Excellent Mar context. Marie, thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. Tom Izzo is next. 14 minutes from now, we've got tickets for the Michigan Golf Show that we're going to be giving away. So stay tuned for that uh, at 849 and we also get you qualified for a great stay and play package too because we know with this weather we're going to be having this weekend your golf clubs are going to be calling to you the siren <laughs> song of the seven iron uh and uh and if you want to scratch that itch there's a great chance to do it next weekend well the spartans are on the road tomorrow night against number two purdue and the country's second leading scorer zach Eady. It's their first and only game against the Boilermakers this season. Let's bring in WJR sports analyst Steve Courtney, along with Michigan State men's basketball head coach Tom Izzo. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning, Lloyd, Guy. Hello again, everyone. This conversation with the good coach brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Performance Remodeling, a preferred partner of the Inside Outside Guys, kicked off another $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Request your windows, roofing, and siding quote today. Log into windowsroofingsiding.com to enter the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Indeed, uh, our Spartans looking to turn in a fine performance at a very tough venue tomorrow night, prime time, 8 o'clock tip. Mackey Arena, West Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, Purdue didn't become number two by accident. They have lost three games all year long. Uh, all of those losses, by the way, coming on the road. Tough place to play. Let's talk about it, Coach. Good morning, sir. Good morning, guys. Yeah, it's a tough place, but uh, 
It's going to be interesting. We've had a good week of practice, you know, trying to sell our guys on some of the positives that have happened, and it's hard in this in this uh, you know world right now. But uh, you know, we looked at it, and uh, we had the week off because of spring break. Plus, we had a week in between games, so we almost had too much time off. But it was good. We uh, spent a lot of time eating, watching film, talking about. You know, believe it or not, since that Baylor game, which was the middle of December, we had won 13 out of 17 games uh, up until this past weekend. And uh, those two losses are unexplainable. They're uh, they're not good. I, I don't have any other thing to say. But up until then, we were one of the hotter teams. But it never seemed like that either. So we had to make sure we talked to them about it. and uh, And we practiced good. So we'll see where we are. Coach, uh, what about Zach Eady? You, you're dealing with him. When was the last time you you saw him, and what, how do you guys deal with that wingspan? <laughs> and, and you know, he's yeah. like an octopus. Yeah, seven foot, ten and a half inch wingspan. I mean, uh, that's uh, that, that's a lot of that's a lot of coverage. Those arms are long, and he uses them well. And uh, but uh, you know we faced him twice last year, and I mean he's going to score his points. I mean he's averaging 25 a game. Uh, that hasn't changed uh, much. I mean you know, if a team's holding him down, he gets 18, 19. If if he goes crazy, he gets 35. You know, but uh, I think how we cover him is going to be important. But how we cover the rest of the guys is really going to be important. And maybe the positive about this year's team for us. As we haven't turned the ball over a lot, I think that's going to be important. And uh, you know, we got to score the ball. So uh, you know, yeah, we got to cover him, but uh, nobody else has. So I'm not sure we're going to just do that. But uh, we're going to try to make it more difficult for him and try to score some ourselves. Uh, Carson Cooper uh, makes an interesting point here for all the right reasons, Tom. Uh, he got extended playing time against Edie in the uh, two matchups a year ago. Uh, and he said, look, uh, the important thing here, you got to make them as uncomfortable as possible, which I thought, looking back at last year's tilts, he did a pretty decent job. But he said, uh, you got to make sure you keep them away from the offensive boards because here uh, is a guy in Edie, the seven foot three guy, leads the nation in offensive rebounding. Got to find a way to block him out. Yeah, I, I think everybody worries about him taking a shot. Uh, I worry about him missing a shot. And then he goes in and gets it, and that's where he gets three-point plays and fouls and just reaches over you. So, you know, we're spending a lot of time working on, you know, how do we go from contesting a shot to uh, to getting the rebound over him, you know, and he's he's usually in so close. I mean, he doesn't take shots outside of six, seven feet. So um, that seven-foot wingspan, he can be seven foot away and just reach over and it sounds crazy, and, you, you know, everybody thinks you have a – you see him on TV, you think, well, you know, you just got to do this and that. But when you see him in person, um, there's just – you know, as Carson at 6'10 with a 7'1 inch wingspan, he's 9 inches short on the wingspan and uh, 6 inches short in the height, you know, and uh, he kind of puts it in perspective. And saying that, you know, uh, we got beat down there last year, but here we uh, we had a one-point lead with eight seconds left and lost to them here. Um, I think we're a better team than we were last year. I think they have qualities that are better than they were last year. So, uh, 
I'm, I'm anxious to see how we respond. I really am. We're, you know, we were really disappointed how we played more, more of the players than even me, um, especially in the last game, but in the last two games. And uh, we'll see if we do something about it. Coach, uh, you know, keeping an eye on Edie is one thing, but also uh, I'm sure you're going to be looking at uh, point guard Brayton Smith. Yeah, you know, that's the guy that's probably improved the most. Uh, Edie is Edie, and he's been Edie, but their team is better because of Braden Smith. Um, he's uh, He just runs his team like the truest of point guards. You know, he gets 11, 12 points a game. But believe it or not, guys, he gets seven and a half rebounds, and he's the smallest guy on their team. And uh, that's a lot. Now, now when people are putting five guys in the coach to cut out Edie, that gives more space for a guy like Braden Smith. But uh, he, I think, has been the most improved. He, and when he's open, he makes the shots. He runs the team. He makes his free throws. Um, and he gets the ball. He he gets Edie the ball in more ways than you can believe. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that uh, that's going to be a big matchup for us. Uh, keeping pressure on him, I think, will be critical. You know what, Tom, more times than not, you can't get to where you want to be uh, without some adversity along the way. Certainly the last couple of losses uh, have led to that. Have you found you and your staff in this week of practice not only being coaches but motivational speakers? Talk about the mindset of this team going into the primetime tilt with the number two team in the nation. Well, I think you're right. You know, I mean, there's no question everybody's more fragile this day and age because they're hearing about it 24 seven. But as I said, you know, we won 13 out of 17. I mean, that's, that's 13 and four in that stretch. And, um, you know, with some, uh, you know, two point loss to Illinois is in that a two point loss to Minnesota was in that when we just shot terrible from the line. Uh, so, you know, there, there's, some things to build on if you want to look at the glass half full or half empty. And I'm a half empty guy. I don't lie about that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more that way. But when I sat back and looked at it, I said, okay, we, we absolutely laid an egg. We came home. We did not, I don't know if we took our foot off the gas. I don't have an answer for it, but I do know this. The players understand that we've played some, pretty good basketball and like a lot of teams right now a lot a lot of teams um when this year is over uh there'll be a lot of people trying to figure out college basketball this season that being said you're right uh we've been through some adversity and uh been there before whether we can work our way out of it um we'll find out in the next two weeks but uh a great opportunity for us. You know, I mean, Purdue is really good. They're one of the top two teams. They've been one or two the entire year and uh, have a lot of guys back and have, they just have an X factor. I mean, when, when things go wrong, they can just throw it to him. You can't even follow him because he makes his free throws. He's shooting 75% from the line. So there's a reason he's player of the year. But when you have a player of the year that you can just throw the ball up to, no matter where you are, there's always he's always six feet from the basket. Trust me, and that 300 pound body, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, aye, aye, it's aye. a lot. But we got to figure out some things offensively that we can do to get him involved, where his defense maybe isn't as agile, and that's you know running is going to be important. But you got to rebound the run. So those are the things we've worked on, guys. 
Coach Tom Izzo, Michigan State men's head basketball coach. Appreciate you Thanks, being coach. here. All the Thank best. You guys. I hope our, I hope our questions were were pretty good. You know, Jamie's not here, so I hope we you know did you well. Guys, I mean, I gotta be my male chauvinist. You guys actually had better questions than Jamie, but don't tell her I said. See you, Coach. Good luck tomorrow. See you guys. All right, uh, Steve Courtney. Thank you for being here as well, sir. All right, Lloyd. And where can we hear it? Enjoy the weekend. And we can hear it tomorrow, right here on Jr. Indeed, 7 o'clock is the uh, pregame tilt at 8, fellas. All right. All Have right. a good weekend. And when we come back, tickets to the Michigan Golf Show and more on JR Morning. All right. Be caller number 9 right now at 1-800-859-0WJR. We want to send you, we got four tickets to the Michigan Golf Show. It starts one week from today, March 8th, out of the Suburban Collections Showplace in Novi. The latest and greatest in equipment. We'll have a lot of fun games, a lot of instruction. Uh, we're just going to get ready for the golf season and do it in high style. So come out and join us, uh, but call right now at one 800 We'll get you those four tickets. Plus, you'll qualify for our grand prize, a Tullamore Resort Stay and Play package for you and a guest, including a two-night stay at the resort and 18-hole rounds with a cart on both Tullamore and St. Ives. My first job was up at Canadian Lakes working in the pro shop up there. And the, and and so this is like my home turf, okay? <laughs> I love both of these courses. And uh, you can also uh, qualify to win by texting the keyword GOLF to 800-859-0957. And I'll see you out there. We're going to be uh, camped out at the hole-in-one contest out at the Suburban Show Place. You're going to try uh, to hit a, a week from today? Um, I've been trying to hit a hole in one for 65 years <laughs> and have yet to do it. So if lightning if lightning strikes indoors, this at might the be your time. Uh, then then I'll I'll have at it. <laughs> Heaven knows, I know I won't be able to resist the temptation to swing the club. So we'll see how that goes. An amazing story uh, that's going to be brought to a swift conclusion. Thankfully, our former ambassador to Bolivia is going to confess and plead guilty to being a spy for Cuba. This is uh, one of the biggest national security breaches we've seen in years. His name is Manuel Roca, uh, was a career diplomat, had a lot of important posts, but uh, shared much too much in our in terms of our secrets and intel with the bad guys. We also had a good conversation with Paul Eisenstein about yes. Chinese cars and the you know the technology inside of the cars, whether it's spying on us like. TikTok in the cars. Well, this, remember, there's sensors, there's cameras, there's all kinds yeah. of things. When you're driving by or through a military installation, for instance, is that car collecting intel? Um, the rate, President Biden and and others raising a lot of interesting things. And we know that BYD, Geely, other mm-hmm. Chinese companies aren't mm-hmm. selling cars yet here in the United States. But Buick has a car that's manufactured in China. Polestar, Volvo. Um, so there are several models out there. And then there's this. Do you remember during the uh, Super Bowl, Timu, this mm-hmm. online I retailer, see it on, online all the you time. know, and they're pushing all the discounts and yes. things like that. Well, there's a class action lawsuit now, and uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys use Timu, Mike or Renee. Um, I've I, I use them. I've seen once, it. I haven't used it. And then I got so much garbage on my phone. I yeah, I, I did away with it, but. Um, they are now saying that if you download the Timu app on your phone, they can access, this is according to the, the class action lawsuit, literally everything on your phone. 
So if I have banking information on my phone, they if can... you've got your mobile banking app yeah. on there, they claim that they can get into that. They say that this is a very dangerous online marketplace, not wow. because the marketplace itself is dangerous, but because of the access to data mm-hmm. that you are giving. You know, remember, you know, we're talking about cars here that basically is, you know, like a rolling TikTok. Yeah. You know, collecting yeah. stuff against you. Of course, President Biden is on TikTok, which raises a certain <laughs> amount of hypocrisy. <laughs> but does, there you go. He's, he, there may, he may be buying crap through Timo, too. Timo, I, I don't know. There is a great uh, meme going around after the Super Bowl that says, Timu took all of our credit card information and bought two Super Bowl commercials. <laughs> <laughs> And also, you guys and Renee, I'm going to you know lay this right at your doorstep because you found this story, uh, this piece of research that suggests that women don't let themselves go after marriage, but the guys do. Yeah, there was a study that said that uh, women are not really letting themselves go after marriage. It's it's men, and I completely believe it. Because uh, I know, Guy, you felt like you were... Because you and I have both looked in the mirror. Yeah. Well, I let myself go before I was married. But, you know, we're men. We're like, okay, well, we're married. Who am I trying to impress? Sweatpants and and stained uh, white T-shirt again. Give me that six-pack and let me kiss my six-pack goodbye. Yeah. That's what happened. I wrangled myself a good one. I can uh, can just coast (laughs) from now on. Well, I want to point out... Uh, just in keeping with the theme of the segment, that was a Chinese piece of research. I think they deliberately uh-huh. dropped that on us to divide us and cause dissension See within, our, within our marital relations. Mm-hmm. I must have heard about it on TikTok then, yep. if, it was, if it was Chinese misinfo. <laughs> because if I g- agree with the study, aren't are I saying, yeah, I don't give a, I don't give a yeah. hoot anymore. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if you agree, you're, 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 if you agree, then you're saying your wife is as beautiful as the day you were married. That's exactly, that's exactly right. exactly what you're saying. Thank you, Mike. Follow me for more marital advice. You, yes, yeah. I like that. And you're, you're going to throw that flotation device if I start <laughs> drowning again, aren't you? Uh, He's good at that. He's good you, at it. Thank you so much for that. Well, because the other thing is, if you dispute the facts of the study, aren't you saying that, no, the women really let themselves go? So, and what, you, and know, you know they're going to be getting calls and text messages saying, uh, uh-uh. And that doghouse outside is going to get more, see more action than it's seen in a lot of years. Well, at least it's, the weather's getting better. Yeah, well, there you go. I'll be looking for change in the couch to... You know, to finance my lifestyle. But uh, no, it's Everyone keep their cell phones on in case guy needs a place to stay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you got an air, a really cheap Airbnb. Airbnb. Oh, but uh, yeah, interesting study. And and the other thing is, isn't that a sign of happiness? It is. When you're just, you're going, yeah, I'm enjoying. And and also, if you're cooking meals for each other, that's a way you show your love as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're we're all going to get a little older and gain a few LBs. And who cares? So, so uh, you know, you love each other, and, you know, as long as you can button that top button on your shirt. There you go. <laughs> By the way, a story that we <laughs> haven't talked shirt. about, Caitlin Clark going into the WNBA draft, the Iowa super-duper star. But what's crazy about this, she's making 900 k in NIL money Ooh. right now at Iowa. It's a pay cut. Is she going to take a pay cut by yep. going into the WNBA? Yeah. Where, where, what, the top salary is a couple hundred thousand dollars. dollars? Yeah. Well, I would think that NIL money would just turn into endorsement money, regular old professional sports Yeah, because she's going to get him. Well, yeah, she's probably get, more. Yeah, she, yeah. she is going to be able to name her price on a lot of those things. But mm-hmm. I was, I mean, this is kind of the topsy-turvy world of, of college athletics now. She is the biggest name in college basketball. basketball. Yeah, she is. I mean, and, uh, yeah. and, and her payday 
is going to come. We'll see what happens to that WNBA draft. We want you to have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Join us on Monday. We'll find out what happened at the Republican convention. Take care.